Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have, I have a great guest in the building. I bet we've been um, speaking for a, a while, few times now, and I'm really excited about getting this, getting his, you know, perspective on digital health. I have Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Bringus, physician uh, specializing in you know, public health, business strategy, and digital health care solutions, uh, and also you know, the chief communication officer for Finnish med tech company, Nukuta, a respiratory and sleep medicine wearable company with the deep development in diagnostics and digital health tools. Uh, Dr. Bringus, thank you for being on today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, before we get started, you know, how about you just kind of tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and kind of what gets you up in the morning? <laughs> Coffee. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> man, that actually, actually, is my is my eight months old uh, daughter. So, um, I'm a I'm a Peruvian medical doctor. Um, I'm an immigrant in the Netherlands, uh, and I um, I started working here already since uh, around six seven years ago that I that I arrived in the Netherlands. Um, and I started uh, from the perspective of uh, medical technology because I was doing some business in the medical side already from uh, my home country, Peru. And, um, and I've been uh, growing into the different businesses of med tech development and innovation for the last years. Um, I, I've held the, the positions of uh, medical director, of chief medical officer, and, um, and then I migrated a little bit before the pandemic into the digital health uh, let's say space, you know, um, did a couple of uh, really interesting courses and, um, um, and then started to really prepare myself and, and develop tools in the digital health. And um, I started with uh, cardiac rehabilitation as a telemetric solution. So tele-rehabilitation. And then I went from there into wearable devices, remote monitoring, and then the pandemic happened and um, it caught us all by surprise and it accelerated the space of digital health. So suddenly many of us that were very busy innovating or developing or implementing, we um, became kind of like, you know, uh, references for digital health and uh, and to speak in different events. And so, so then I've been migrating to different companies consulting. And um, in the case of Lukuta, I am their chief medical communications officer. I also work with Medscape. Uh, you've had a, a really interesting chapter with their chief medical officer, Hansa Bhargava. Yeah, so we work together uh, creating the strategies for uh, the online uh, programs and I'm especially keen on digital health. And I'm very happy to be here today. It's, um, it's another step in my career, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, but what I, what I do know about you is, you know, you are really focused in on Latin America and, and how digital uh, innovation and healthcare innovation can really kind of impact the, you know, those communities. Can you tell us a little bit about one, you know, wh- why you feel like it's an, important to focus there uh, and, you know, what, what things are kind of happening? You feel like that it's, it's beneficial. Well, look, um, so I started, of course, focused on the whole world. I've been um, globally based and I'm still globally based. I'm I'm a global chief medical communications officer. 
But personally, I, I'm always involved in Latin America because it's my region. It's, it's where I come from. It's where I feel more identified. So um, the thing is that when I always, when I talk about Latin America, and I had a conversation with a person in the, um, in the business of digital health before, um, and we spoke about like the lack of, commu- of, of um, real communications of information coming from Latin America. And it uh, happens to be because we are a region of the world that usually stays a little bit to the side, you know, um, in the news, um, on the development in, in attention. So it is my duty as a Latin American to put it in the map, you know, to put it on the map and to talk about it because we have to become relevant. Um, I, I'm one of those people that when I hear a person say, you're a Latin American, you're a minority, I'm like, whoa, we are more than 500 million. You know, we're not a minority. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we are a majority in the American continent. And um, so for us, it's important. And I think I, I, many Latin Americans would agree. We have to put it in on the map. We have to discuss the matters of Latin America. So that's what I'm doing nowadays. And in terms of health tech, I think that health tech and digital health tech can really um, help, one, create more access to healthcare. That has been a big issue in Latin America. And um, second, of course, they can also help to increase, you know, increase quality of life, increase healthcare outcomes. Um, You know, because from healthcare comes a lot of different things. You you decrease comorbidities, you increase education. Um, You can really make sure that people can go to school. You can really make sure that people can get graduated. You can really make sure that people increase the entire life uh, uh, structure, you know, in Latin America that would really push the country up. Um, the country's up. So this is what I'm doing. And um, I'm really excited about working in this space, uh, stocking in all these different, um, you know, forums and writing also for a couple of magazines. Um, And I'm hoping that this work will have as a result the adoption or the implementation of technologies to make the quality of life of people in Latin America better. Exactly. And and thinking of of quality of care, you know, when we always we think of quality of care. We always talk about you know closing uh, the healthcare gap, right? So you know what role does digital health play in closing the healthcare gap? I mean, I think that digital health has probably the the role of the tool that helps to really close it. You know, I think we can we have to really uh, think about the amount of energy and uh, the amount of resources that would take to implement physical medical infrastructure in all those little rural places from, you know, Mexico all the way down to Chile. Countries like Brazil that are really, you know, millions of uh, square kilometers and um, just putting in physical infrastructure would demand a huge burden. Um, and so would demand a huge amount of professionals that these countries might not have at the moment. So how do we do to um, provide healthcare to all those people that are so uh, far from uh, the capital cities or the big cities where healthcare is actually provided. Um, digital tools are probably the most um, easy to develop tools and probably the most easy to implement tools. Um, but of course, there, there are cases, there are still like big obstacles that we have to go through in Latin America, but that is the role. Um, if we think about telemedicine, for instance, um, in, in the moment of the pandemic, when COVID started in Latin America had already a big problem of healthcare access, it only made it worse. You know, COVID, um, the amount of patients increased. You had the infected patients and you have the typical patients that come to the, to the ambulatory services, you know, chronic patients. 
but the amount of doctors decreased and it continuously decreased because they were also getting infected, you know? Mm. So the personnel at the hospitals was in constant decrease. The amount of uh, uh, supplies and implements were constantly in decrease as well. So the healthcare gap began, began to become bigger and bigger and bigger. So at some point, you know, authorities, um, healthcare systems in Latin America, they think they thought we have to do something that will remedy this problem right now, and just put a patch on it because it's really there's we are at a point or no return. So what they did is they implemented digital health, and um, it has been working in many countries. Um, in in uh, let's call it in, in sort in uh, silos. So it's not that these are structures of digital health that are very well regulated, that are really accessible for everyone, but they are uh, small ecosystems of digital health placed in some countries or some regions and in other ones not, um, that are trying to you know, deliver that health access. I think that the role is that one, but we still need to really stop those silos and create a real ecosystem. Right. And so where, where does that begin? Because even I'm, I'm only assuming that in, you know, here in the States, you know, we do have all of these different technologies as far as, you know, trying to get access of care to people in, in rural areas like you were talking. Um, but in some of these communities, maybe access to the Internet may be an issue. Is that some of the same issues you're seeing there where, yes, you may have the the tool, but does the patient that you're trying to provide services for, do they have all the tools that they need? That is exactly the problem. One of the problems, at least. Um, when, when somebody asks me um, in an interview, what do you think is, are the, the most important challenges to um, defeat, let's say, in order to actually be able to implement digital health in, the, in Latin America, the Latin American region, the first thing that I said that I say is um, connectivity. Uh, we really need to um, enhance it and uh, really make more democratized connectivity in Latin America. Um, let's think about the usage of smartphones in the, in the Americas. Um, when we talk about the Latin American region, um, the usage of, of smartphones is around 40 to 50%, which is very low. Um, and then you, you see, for instance, countries like Peru, that they have around 12.9 million uh, people using smartphones. But if you just um, think that the majority of the people in, in, um, in these 12.9 million live in the capital, and then you have some other people living in those big cities, you're still not solving any access to healthcare problem if you're going to try to implement those digital tools for the people that actually don't use the smartphones. So <clears throat> there's a big uh, challenge there, which is connecting the country. How do we connect the country? And I don't think it's 100% necessary to that everyone uses a smartphone in order to have a connected population. There are other ways to do this. Um, I've seen it in the, in the north of Africa where they put a little post, you know, where there's a computer or an iPad and a nurse, you know, and then people can go and get checked there. There are always ways to do this, but they need connectivity. They need access to the internet. And that's something that they don't have. So that's my number one, definitely. And then of course, regulation. So the thing about the Americas uh, that differs, for instance, the United States from Latin America, another, apart from <laughs> all those like economical and connectivity uh, differences is um, regulatory. So the US, they have already a, a very, let's say, uh, comprehensive regulatory system in terms of digital health. 
Um, they have FDA regulations. They have software as a device regulations. They even have a digital therapeutic regulation on its own. Um, they classify it very, very concisely, and they know which one is going to be accepted, which one won't. You have to present clinical trials. There's a complete process. It's very well, very well divided. And the same thing goes with um, the practice of medicine. So if we think about telemedicine, you know, um, we we have to have a very clear guideline of how do we use telemedicine, in which moments we do use telemedicine, in which, which moments we don't use telemedicine. And in Europe and the United States, hospitals have these types of guidelines. So they have these little guidebooks that tells them, hey, you know, this patient has this. Okay, let's give him like a telemedicine consult to, to triage his situation. And if we see that he can continue the care with telemedicine, we continue with telemedicine. If not, then he has to go to the hospital face to face with the doctor. Right. And in the in Latin America, we need to have those things as well. We need a guide, but we also need regulations. And of course, we need the, the part of the legal structure, which is also very important, you know, reimbursing mechanisms. It, the illegal uh, and ethical um, matters that have to be also discussed and, and, and placed on, on paper so that people know exactly who is li- liable whenever something happens in a telemedicine consult or from a, from a telehealth perspective, you know? So in the U.S., you have these, these uh, digital health attorneys, for instance, that are always like looking into the, the, the regulation side. And we don't have those in Latin America. So we also have to develop those types of systems to understand medical ethical connotations of digital health. And then there's, of course, the adoption. That's the third word that I always mm-hmm. say. Adoption is very important from the medical side and from the patient side. But from the medical side at this point, I think that doctors are very um, keen on their on their old, um, uh, let's say, not their old, but the, like, let's call it the, 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 the ways of doing evidence-based medicine, which is great, but the ways of doing medicine from before and not really being adjusted to the fast pace of digital health development. So for instance, I was speaking with a doctor, I'm not gonna say any names here, but <laughs> I was speaking with a doctor a couple of weeks ago uh, from, from my home country. This doctor just finished their master's in medical informatics, you know, and um, that was already for me impressive, you know, a Latin American doctor. But then we were speaking about um, uh, remote monitoring, remote patient monitoring for pregnant women and uh, pregnant women of risk and how it can actually help prevent and monitor treatment of these women, decreasing, you know, maternal fetal mortality. And um, the first thing that I get is like, there's not enough systematic reviews to validate that um, idea, you know? Hmm. And I think, well, you know, that maybe there's not enough systematic reviews because we are really at a fast paced uh, uh, technology development. So you have to read uh, individual, you know, uh, research is being published, not really systematic reviews. It's very difficult to do that. Right. And second, um, so, that, that's one thing, you know, if the, the reason of the disbelief is an issue um, of adjusting to the acceleration of tech development. They are used to these types of pace and uh, from the previous time when everything has to be scripted in guidelines and it takes years, you know, and then these new times, they actually just go in a really, really fast pace. And um, I, from nowhere, you realize like, oh, okay, this technology is already being used in the Netherlands by Lucy, in the United States by BabyScripts. And it's been just used in the clinical daily life. You know, they just go really fast from the clinical trial to the practice. That's that's how we are seeing digital health being implemented. Right. So we have to also help them to adopt and to understand the pace. 
And in the terms of the patients, they have to understand the, the let's say, the simpleness of this of, of digital health, but also the, the real power that it has on in terms of access and the real preventative power that it has in terms of really medical practice. You know, it's this can really help them to prevent so many diseases. It can help them to monitor their chronic diseases better. It can help them be connected to their practitioner, to their provider 24-7. You know, it can make it better. It can make their healthcare better. They have to understand those benefits. Absolutely. You know, and one thing that I've that I have noticed about when we're, when we're talking about adoption, the thing that came to my mind, and this is definitely for a specific population, age population, is trust in uh, the digital tool. Because there are a lot, there's a there's an older population <laughs> that just doesn't trust it. And they would much rather see their doctor in person, regardless of if it's for a cut on their finger or something more serious. If a telehealth visit would suffice, they don't even want to bother with it. They would much rather just come and see the doctor. And that's just, again, a different population of people. I mean, a lot of younger people are just like, yes, I, I you know, I want that because maybe that they understand that maybe their digital health literacy is a little bit better than someone who's older. But that's when it comes to adoption, that's that's one thing that I have noticed. Um, so next question, you know, next thing is, you know, what are some of the changes you see? Um, that need to be fixed to make digital health more inclusive. I think what I said, what I said before, yeah. um, connectivity and adoption and um, regulation. I mean, those those things are really um, more than health tech. Let's when we when we say digital health, uh, you know, we have to modernize those systems and uh, we have to make them decentralized. And in order to make the decentralization happen, those three key uh, components components adoption. Um, the connectivity and regulations, those three have to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, in your article, you wrote an article, the state of digital, uh, digital, the state of digital transformation in Latin American health systems. You talked about, you know, the struggle with access and equity kind of talk about that. And uh, can you explain a little bit about how health tech is helping and why it's so important to Latin America? Well, I mean, uh, First of all, in that article, I, I did mention not only the struggles, but also mm -hmm. the developments that are happening in, in some countries. So I would like to first start by saying that um, there's not, we cannot only focus about the struggles. Uh, we can right. focus about everything we've gained so far in Latin America in the last year and a half since the, since the COVID pandemic started. And uh, for instance, um, we have implemented digital health in a historic way. Yes, a little bit slower than the US and Europe, but we had no development of digital health until that point. So developing this type of, uh, or, or a very small development, de developing a, a, to that uh, level has already been an advancement of the uh, in general of Latin American health systems uh, by many years in, in a very, very short term. Second, some other countries in Latin America have really developed amazing regulatory systems so far. And also they have rolled out great digital health um, programs. Let's say Argentina is one of those countries, Uruguay, Chile. And we also have to recognize that these countries are right now at the forefront of the Indian in Latin America uh, in terms of the development, uh, the adoption and the regulations on digital health. So it's important to recognize those things. And, and I wrote about them as well 
because I want to emphasize in how these countries are doing it, what are what is the innovation, where is it coming from, and how the other countries in Latin America could emulate um, these types of, of innovative ways of doing and implementing digital health in their in in these other countries' ecosystems. Uh, now, what we have and 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 what it means in tech, tech, for instance, tech means a lot. Tech means uh, you know enhancing medical practice. It means decreasing um, the inaccuracy. And when we talk about precision medicine in in these years, um, and we talk about the development of precision medicine, we have to aim to it. Countries like Latin America, they have to aim to it. So adding more technology in in the, of course, in in a smart way, we're not just going to add technology to add technology, but adding technology to get the right data, adding technology to use that data to prevent uh, or to treat better or to monitor those can actually um, really help in terms of the development of, of uh, precision medicine. Um, and in terms of COVID, uh, what they could do right now with the whole pandemic situation and for the future is really helping to um, decompress the health care system that, uh, in the uh, Latin America that is right now um, in a very, uh, let's say, very tight position. Uh, with the amount of people coming every day and um, and the amount of personnel that they actually have, you know that struggle can really be um, released uh, relieved a little bit by uh, by the tools of digital health. Absolutely, and you know, I, I know you, I know you really, you know, you have a you know a pride for you know Latin America, and it definitely shows. But you also, like you said, you know, you you have you have experience with you know globally. With a lot of the innovations and tools out there in digital health, um, what are your thoughts on or or are there tools out there that are taking into consideration maybe cultural differences, right? Like there are um are is is that is that something that can be implemented into a digital tool? Like what does that look like? Oh my gosh. So I, I love this question and I love the questions about equity because we immediately come to the realization that development of tech is not really done with everyone as a mold, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's think about, for instance, PPG, right? PPG is uh, also called photoplethysmography. It's just the, the technology that allows you um, to monitor your oxygen saturation on your finger, um, that little pulse oximeter that has that technology. It's a LED light and a camera or infrared light and a camera that um, detects microvascular uh, passage of blood, you know, and it can um, algorithmically um, assess, for instance, saturation of oxygen or heart rate or respiratory rate. But it was created um, not taking into consideration pigmentation, Mm. you know, so when we think about one of the biggest problems that we've had in coronavirus during this pandemic time is that when we monitored colored people, we had inaccuracy in their saturation levels, especially when they were in crisis. And that originated in many emergencies, many hospitalizations, and many deaths. So that is a very crucial point to just talk about. And I know you're talking about culture, but I just really wanted to bring ethnicity as well. Yeah. Because all these factors are very important when we are developing technology. And I can tell you many other uh, cases of many other types of, of developments um, that really prioritize groups or, um, of course, it's not intended, but it is just the way we have done clinical trials in the past 
it's it's the way uh, uh, just the development and and uh, and the test subjects have been uh, selected in the past, making it not really democratized or or decentralized. And there are now solutions in terms of digital health that actually assess those problems and um, increase the heter heterogeneity of test populations. For instance, decentralized clinical trials, also called PCTs. Um, I was in a, in a group of uh, uh, professionals that still exists and no longer part of the leadership team, but um, one of the advisory board members of our startup is uh, Craig Lipset. Um, and it's basically, uh, it's called the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance. And it's an alliance of like pharma companies and uh, clinical research organizations and medtech companies, institutions, the FDA, universities, all together trying to leverage the adoption of decentralized research and decentralized trials. And um, what that does is that it allows us to be able to have a more heterogeneous group of populations talking about ethnicity variability or mm -hmm. diversity in clinical research. And this is really important if we want to develop tech in the future that is really, that fits everyone. Um, now going back to the cultural part. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I just start talking and it, no, it that's great. That was great. So um, about the part of um, of ethnic uh, of culture. So the thing about culture is that, as you said it before, um, many different populations have different cultures in terms of going to the doctor, when to go to the doctor, if you actually go or not, how to treat your your um, chronic diseases regime. You know, do you adhere? Do you do, do you not adhere? Do you believe in the medication or not? And of course, many other things that come in parallel to medicine, which you probably have heard of before, which is the typical, let's call it Creole type of medicine mm -hmm. uh, that yeah. happens in many different cultures and that kind of like wants to patch medicine, but what it does is actually makes it worse <laughs> in some cases. So, um, you know, and we have to be really be um, mindful of these cultural differences whenever we decide to develop digital technologies. Uh, if we think about digital therapeutics right now, for instance, I think that's one of the most promising areas of digital health for the reason that um, we are actually treating a disease, um, let's call it a, a complementary uh, package of, of treatment, which is a digital compound that goes next to medication. But this digital compound, it really takes care of behavior. And it really and, and enhances the part of behavioral science and behavior and, and and culture have are very interrelated because the way you behave it has really a lot to do with your culture. Um, so uh, you know, with the rise of, of um, artificial intelligence, being able to actually understand and um, study every case in an individual way, you know, historically and per se understanding your behavior then we can actually be able to predict, um, to prevent and to treat disease in a way that is more democratized and more patient-centric. And, and we, we don't really have to then apply the same principles for everyone as it has been done before um, in, in just the, the practice of the, uh, the conventional medicine. Right, do, do you feel like, um, thank you for that answer. Do you feel like, having that information from a from a uh, physician from a provider perspective does that will that also allow you to maybe understand your patient a little bit better because you know there there are those times where um the patient may not 
feel like their provider knows what like really understands them or is maybe treating them fairly or or whatever the case may be do you feel like some of these um cultural differences and um trials with you know getting more diverse populations um what kind of effect will this have on the provider um to maybe have a little bit more empathy to that to that patient i think it will have a tremendous effect um you know being able to see the data and see how disease mm-hmm. behaves um, in a in every people differently um understanding their behavior understanding their their history it really can help you understand patients better also i think that in medical education there is maybe a little bit of an opening there for something cross cultural in studies i think it will be really great for uh for the practice of medicine we don't even have it in latin america to be honest or um and uh, and it, that might be something that people want to go and look into um if we want to go into the 21st century and think that we not only have um cultural differences or you know um religious differences etc 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 all these things they have you know different connotations for instance if you think about the diverticulitis and um happening in the in the right side in asians you know ver- very more often than in white people and, and um i saw it in a chapter of a tv show the other day i was just thinking that this is completely true it's the same thing that that goes with um people from latin america are more propensed to diabetes uh and same as african americans we mm-hmm. have to then uh be able to be more mindful when the patient comes and tells you hey you know what i had um i almost fainted and um um my, my i th- i think there must be something with my in with my uh sugar you know uh blood they call it sugar the, the yeah. high, uh, glycemia and then as a as a doctor you have to realize okay well this is a population that might you know um be in a higher risk than this other one so i might as well just check and um i think those things will come uh but the but the usage of, of artificial intelligence and data for the daily management of disease will really help out as well into understanding the individual case way better and of course this is what a lot of doctors are speaking right now in in terms of precision medicine right right and even i i read somewhere you're even seeing more patients are um wearing what wearables like to monitor their physical activity and 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 things like that to have that constant if there's if there's one thing that i've learned about doctors with working for them for the past you know however long i've been working as a uh, in a clinical setting nothing matters but the data what does the data show me (laughs) and i'm sure you could appreciate that is if there's no data how can they make a the appropriate you know, um, so get this appropriate solution to, to them. So um, I think the more and more we see these these wearables and, and getting this exact data for the provider, it can only it, it can help you as the provider make the best you know decision and also help the, the, the patient really know where they're at with their care as well and what they're doing for themselves. Definitely. I, um, I love what you just said about the wearables, by the way. It's, uh, it's something that I'm always saying in a lot of different uh, uh, spaces. I think wearables are really um, here to stay. They are great uh, fountains of data, mm-hmm. sources of data. They are doing a, a, a terrific job in accumulating data. And now there's really interesting um, research uh, happening, for instance, with the Apple Watch and the Fitbit uh, against uh, the conventional ECG to see the accuracy of heart rate. We're talking about 91 to 95% accuracy 
that's really impressive. Yeah. You know? And uh, with if you think about heart rate and respiratory rate, we can already do a lot with those. Of course, we're not talking about diagnostics, right? Diagnostics is different. We need really medical devices for that. But we can do screening. We can do uh, prevention. We can also do monitoring. You know, if we if we have a patient and we see that the patient is, uh, we give them a new medication, let's say subutamol for the asthma, and then um, it starts to have uh, tachycardias, you know, we can see it on the Apple Watch, you know? So the patient can actually record and show it to the doctor. And it would be, I think the doctors have to really also see uh, these research has been happening and understand that, okay, these are wearables, they are consumer wearables, but they are giving me information that it might help me in my clinic. Um, and that it might really give me some more uh, feedback. At the end of the day, they are asking the patient, have you had palpitations? If your Apple Watch is telling you that they had a tachycardia, and the doc and the patient says yes, I have palpitations. With them, bingo, we have a we have a secondary effect from your medication. Let's see what we can do about that. And those are the things that wearables can really help us with. Right, instead of that patient, depending on their culture and eth- and eth- uh, ethnicity, waiting until it gets way worse. Right, because exactly. some people are afraid to go, so they may have issues not going to the hospital because in their mind, if I go to the hospital, I'm going to die. So they wait until it's so they're about to die, you know, to go to to go to the hospital. So, I I think I I agree with you. I think it definitely helps with, um, not only prevention but being able to 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 nip it in the bud before it gets too bad, too bad for sure. It empowers it empowers the patient. For Empowering sure. it absolutely insight into their into their healthcare. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 a great that's a great word. So, um. If, if you had your if you had your way, Doctor Bringus, in in a perfect world, and and whatever every, everything that you've been doing in, in digital health, um, prevention, public health, all the things you've been doing globally, um, if if success was guaranteed, what would the health system look like in in your eyes? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that would be a dream. Well, I mean, I mean, first you know, democratize healthcare. You know, that would be something that I really would love to see. Um, everyone has access to, uh, from anywhere they are to healthcare. Um, they can, of course, what we just said, they can be empowered and they can monitor their own healthcare, look for help whenever they need it, prevent complications and monitor their chronic diseases, but also they could travel the world. They would be able to share their medical data everywhere where they are. You know, that medical data is completely compatible with whatever they have in that country. So that the doctor in Saudi Arabia, you know, from the patient that came from Canada can see the patient and still can uh, access all of the, those uh, levels of information, understand who this patient is and give them the best medical care. I see, uh, if you tell me what the future is, and I can already see it in my head, you know, like you are getting out of this futuristic plane and um, you're not feeling very well in abroad and you just go to your doctor, you have a wearable, you just, you have an RFID chip there that you just logged somewhere and then all your healthcare data comes into this doctor's mm. computer and they can really understand, you know, what you've been feeling. There's a tons of data, but very well and, and, and uh, let's call it human-centered designed so that the doctor can really in the, in the look of one, uh, in one second look, they can already see the trends and what's going on with you and give you the right medical um, care. I think that that is a dream that I have sometimes awake. <laughs> I'm just thinking this is what I'm this is what I'm working for right now. And one day it will happen and I'll say, well, you know, I was in that space in the moment that it started. And um, and this is a little bit maybe in, in 0.0001% is my victory as well. 
Awesome. One, one, we'll see it one day. One day you're going to make it happen. We'll see. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Dr. Bringus, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. If anybody listening wanted to get a hold of you and, and learn more about what you're doing and, and you know, kind of where you're at, where can they find you? Um, I'm usually on Twitter. Twitter address is at Dr. Um, or no, it's at J Bringus MD. And um, and then I'm also uh, posting a lot on LinkedIn. But, you know, basically, if they go to Twitter or LinkedIn, they can always, um, you know, just uh, send me a message. And if you have any question or would like to have a collaboration or just some information, I'm, I'm always my DMs are always open. And I love to respond to as many questions as I can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, Dr. Bringas, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, and uh, everybody, thank you for listening. I'll holler at you next time.